Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Well, welcome to Midweek. So glad you're hanging out here tonight. By the way, permission granted to grab some street tacos and bring them in. I know Andrew had a burrito that was like a body pillow size. So if you want to grab food before you come in, you're, you're welcome to do that. We have been known, by the way, at Midweek to have pizzas delivered to Midweek. So if you want to play with that, you can do that as well. Hey, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, here this evening about a way of life. We all have a way of life. Uh, things you do, normal routines, what you do on a Saturday, what you stand for, what you're committed to, what you, um, what you want to get involved with. We, we all have a, a way of life, these things that sort of dictate the normal ebb and flow of our schedules, etc. And these ways of life are leading us somewhere. The question is where? Like in the normal way that you do life, where is that leading you? What, what What direction is it taking you? Is there a a purpose behind it? Uh, The great theologian Jim Sweeney, for those of you who are old enough to remember him, he used to say, uh, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. So if you don't like the way things are going, change the way you do things. And uh, like many of those phrases that he he taught, that that one stuck with me. And now, if we go making a bunch of changes to our life and we forget God, then we have forgot the most important factor in any way of life you're wanting to have. If you remember from last week, we spoke of Psalm 127 that says, unless the Lord build the house, the laborers labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's a vain thing to stay up late, to rise early, or eat the bread of painful labor, for the Lord gives to his beloved even while they sleep. That whatever changes we might want to make in our way of life, whatever the new year brings for you that you go, you know what, that's it, 2023, I'm changing, I'm going to do X. Whatever X is, if we do it without the Lord, then we've missed the most important component uh, that we might need in our life. Now, in fact, how do we change things up and still have our hearts open to God? Uh, Colossians chapter 3 tells us that whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So how do we then look at a new year, look at the beginning of um, a time of great reset, and how do we intentionally order our lives to that end, that whatever we do, in word or deed, we do it all for the glory of the Lord. Now, thankfully, this question has been asked for centuries. People of faith have been wondering, how do I create a normal way of life that, that sort of fits uh, in the scriptures that's in keeping with God and his kingdom and, and they have sought to live holy in an unholy world by creating a way of life that sort of kept them away from the currents of sin that might uh, go before them in culture, etc. And, and in that to sort of respond by pursuing Christ above all. Now, many of these who have gone before us are called saints. I'll use that term as well, not as one that's to be revered, but just of a a man or woman of God who went before us and asked these questions and left, in some ways, the breadcrumbs on the trail. Uh, As early as the fourth century, we actually have captured some of these ways of life of these saints of old, like Augustine of Hippo in Africa. We have his 
uh, way of life captured for us. A guy named Basil, of, uh, Basil the Great from Turkey, um, Benedict of Nursia. Some of you are familiar with Benedictine monks. They came from him and his way of life. Um, even uh, Francis of Assisi, St. Francis, as many uh, are more familiar. And what they came up with was their own specific rules, regulations, guidelines, directives of not what they called a way of life, but what became known in church history as a rule of life. And all of these rules of life were passed on generation to generation, and you can still, in fact, find a Franciscan monastery or a Benedictine monastery where they are living out Francis and Benedict's rule of life. Even to this day, what they stood for then, the way they arranged their life then, is still being practiced even now. Now, the word rule of life in our context feels a little abrasive to us because we, we lose some of the nuance of the word rule, kind of means order and almost um, a regulation, but really the rule comes from the Latin word, which means an arrangement. It's just sort of a way to structure your life. Uh, the Greek word that's translated out of this concept of rule has the idea of a trellis. It, it's a structure that the, the organic nature of your life would kind of sort of climb on. It doesn't really define you. It just, it just helps create a sense of structure in that regard. Now, that, that's an interesting way to look at a rule of life if you consider this. We live in the Central Valley, so you see vines, grapevines everywhere. I mean, it's hard to turn a corner in this valley and not see some sort of grapevines. And they're all very well manicured typically. They're all trained up on a trellis of some sort. And the reason that is, is because an untrained vine actually grows wild. They will sprawl out everywhere. They will grab onto anything and take hold of anything they can. And that doesn't always lead to their benefit. In fact, sometimes an untrained vine is going to grow into areas that will make it prone to disease. It will not help its fruit bearing potential. It will actually hinder it. And so to aid in the structure, uh, vineyard farmers create a rule for their grapes, a trellis, a, a way for it to order itself. Now that's interesting because much like a vine, an untrained life grows wild. An untrained life sprawls out everywhere and can in fact, even with good intentions, lead us into places where um, destruction and chaos can ensue. And so it would be wise for us to create a, a rule of life a trellis by which our life can grow that reflects our values, that reflects what the scriptures call us to be about, that, that begins to mirror some of the priorities of our God. Uh, there's an author uh, who started uh, to write books on the emotionally healthy fill-in-the-blank, and I think he's got like nine different books now, but he wrote one on emotionally healthy spiritualities, Cazero is his name, and he says this about a rule of life. He says, a rule of life, very simply, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do, to provide guidelines to help us uh, continually remember God as the source, and without intentionality, we eventually become unfocused, distracted, and adrift spiritually. Now, I don't know if you have a rule of life, but I would venture to guess that most, if many if not most, do not, and if you do not, that quote probably applies that over time, without a trellis or a rule of life structure dictating how you live or guiding at least how you live, it's easy to become unfocused, especially as it relates to the spiritual life. 
Now, there are numerous iterations of rules of life. In fact, just Google it, and there's like all kinds that are out there. All of them are worth pursuing. I would just encourage you to read with some discernment because what has happened is um, many branches of our faith have taken rules of life away from the Scripture to be something else, but it's at least worth exploring for for the reason of creating some structure. Now, for our purposes, what I want to do uh, in our time together this week is to use Jesus as our example. And thankfully, I want to see if we can uncover a rule of life from the life of Christ. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at a verse and build it from that, verse 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says this, that Jesus, Luke 2, 52, kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, what do we know about Jesus? Well, we we know, of course, that he was fully God and fully man. Theologically speaking, they call that the hypostatic union. We know he enjoyed full divinity, and yet he also experienced what it meant to be fully human. So he was made like us in in all things yet without sin. Now, we don't have much in the Bible about his early life. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we get a a snapshot of the birth narrative. That's your your nativity scenes from the Christmas season. We get later in Luke chapter 2 a snapshot of Jesus as a 12-year-old who's confounding the religious teachers, not just with um, with his conversation, but with his questions, because that's how you communicated knowledge in that culture. And so beyond that, we, we don't have much. We assume he went to school like others in his culture would have gone to school. In second and third century literature, we get an idea of what that schooling would have been. As you can imagine, it was all based on the Bible. Elementary school, they learned the Torah, the first five books of your Bible. In middle school and high school, they learned everything else. Uh, and then after you graduated high school, if you had the chops, you would go find a rabbi and you would ask if you could follow that rabbi. Now, that's worth noting because um, we don't know for sure if Jesus went through this process, but uh, he does, in fact, uh, it looks like, come to a mastery of the scriptures. He says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. When tempted in Matthew chapter 4, he's going to quote Deuteronomy off the top of his head. Um, and in that, I, I think, show a, a mastery of the text. We don't know if he went to school or not, but we do know this. He didn't follow an earthly rabbi which drove the religious leaders crazy, which is why throughout the Gospels, they're always asking, by what authority do you do these things? Meaning, who who taught you? And who taught him was the Father. And then also, uh, he didn't go out and uh, find a rabbi himself. In fact, no, he went out and called disciples to himself, which again flipped the paradigm on its head. And yet, even though fully God, and even though well-educated in his Bible, he continually or kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Now, what does kept increasing mean? Well, it's an imperfect active verb, which means uh, he never stopped increasing in these things. There was no end, and he was actively about increasing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. So if we're going to build a rule of life uh, out of this text, what we I think need to find is four, at least four broad categories that Jesus was focused on. And these might be categories, if you'd like to build out a rule of life for yourself, might be worth exploring. One is he kept growing or increasing in wisdom. Now the word wisdom is the word Sophia. It means a capacity to know and to understand. And as a result, really to act accordingly, uh, which means it's uh, not just knowledge, but the ability to process knowledge and actually do something applicable with it. Also worth noting, though, that a biblical view of wisdom 
seems to start in the Old Testament with a fear of God and in the New Testament with an understanding of God's word. That it doesn't just mean that you're, you're quick with like little jabs. No, to, to continually grow in wisdom means that there is an understanding of and an application by way of living out of the very word of God. And Jesus, it seems, modeled this, took the scripture and lived it out, fulfilled everything the Bible said of him. But wisdom can also suggest like a general knowledge of understanding. When you read through the Gospels and you listen to the way Jesus taught, he speaks as if an expert in vineyard farming, John 15, uh, in the nature of um, foxes that have holes, uh, holes to sleep in, wheat, sheep, fishing, birds, construction, Roman government. He's bringing all of these examples in to illustrate his teaching because his intellect, his breadth of understanding of not just God's word but God's creation was so broad uh, that he, he brought all of that in to accentuate his teaching. He was continually growing in wisdom. Also, though, it says he kept increasing not just in wisdom but in stature. The word stature uh, is a word that we come up with the idea of age, yes, height, yes, but assumed in that also is maturity. In fact, not just bodily stature, but something a little bit even deeper still. And, and he continued, simply put, to kind of grow up, to leave boyhood, to become a man. And he navigated, if you look at the life of Jesus, a very complex family structure. If you think about it, he, um, he grows up with a stepdad, Joseph, his earthly father, who um, seems to disappear. We don't know why, so... Did he die? Did he go away? But if you look at the gospel accounts, he's there early and then he just kind of fades into the background. So what's the dynamic there? He's got siblings that don't believe in him early on. See John 7. They don't come to faith until later. He's got a mother who, though blessed, right, and a favored one, is a little overbearing. So he's dealing from a very practical standpoint with a really interesting family dynamic. And yet he's continuing to increase in stature. Uh, he seems, according to the text, to have been hardworking. He's known as the carpenter's son. And his earthly ministry, my goodness, you talk about putting in the hours, long days, late nights, teachings, healings. He, th he was thirsty. He fatigued. Um, and he learned in some ways how to suffer and persevere through difficulty. So he was growing in stature, continually growing in stature. But then also he kept increasing in favor with God and men. Now, the God in men is interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is in Mark chapter 12, Jesus gives the great commandment, which is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And it seems like that's one, one of the things Jesus was continually increasing in. To enjoy favor with God, by the way, it says he, in some ways he enjoyed a life open to the Father. He said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me in John 6. And in fact, uh, he, uh, his prayer life, in terms of favor with the Father, his prayer life was such that of all of the things the disciples saw him do, it was only the issue of prayer that they said, teach us to do that. Because whatever you're doing there in prayer is different than what we've seen. We want to do that as well. And it, it was, uh, in some ways, part of Jesus' normal way of doing life to actually enter into the faith community in his little town of Nazareth or whatever community he was in. So in Luke chapter four, it tells us that uh, he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. 
So coming to the synagogue, reading in the Sabbath, uh, or reading in the synagogue on the Sabbath was part of his normal way of life. As he interacted with the Father, this was part of his rule of life. And then finally, he experienced favor with men. His family relationships uh, at the end of his life, you remember he's on the cross and he says to John, his youngest disciple, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. There was a sense if he wanted to take care of mom, knowing his time of death was upon him. Uh, He was what looks to be a good friend. When you see the relationship the disciples had with Jesus, there was was a kinship there. They, They ate meals together. Uh, They had what looks to be inside jokes together. They went fishing together as brothers. They spent a lot of time together walking around. Um, They told stories together. They went to celebrations together. It looks like they enjoyed a good glass of wine together. There was a sense of camaraderie with these brothers that shows you that they experienced great favor he did with these men. So if you take the life of Jesus and you just look at this verse in those four broad categories, the question I want to sort of process in the time that we have remaining is what might it look like to take the life of Jesus and the categories that he sort of laid out and then just ask ourselves the question, can we build our own rule of life from that, that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. Let's talk about the first. What would it look like for us to create a trellis in our life of continually growing in wisdom? We'll start with wisdom of God. If wisdom of God is an understanding of the scriptures, then what would it look like to think through your life and say, well, how much time do I actually spend in my Bible? Me and my Bible. Not a podcast, not a message, uh, not, not, a, not an email of a thought from the day of somebody else who read their Bible, but you and your Bible. What would it look like to create a rule of life where you actually got in your Bible on a regular basis? Not only read your Bible, what would it look like to create a rule of life where when the psalmist asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is by keeping it according to your word. When the scripture says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And Jesus, when tempted, quotes from memory the book of Deuteronomy. What would it look like to create a rule of life that just says, I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to memorize my Bible. Now, as soon as you say scripture memory, people go, ah, I can't do that. And I want to push on that a little bit because I could hum a tune of some terrible 80s song and it would be karaoke night right now. We, we can memorize things. We just don't put our mind to do it. And there are tips and tricks and persistence is the greatest thing if you will press through and take just little scriptures that you read and just begin to memorize them, God will do a work in your heart. What might it look like for you to say, you know what, yeah, I can do that. I'm gonna memorize a verse this year. Do you think it'd be possible for you to memorize one verse this year? Um, In the Gospel of John, it says, Jesus wept. So there's your first one. So we've all got one, okay? So what might that look like? Just to create a little bit of a trellis for us to say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna memorize a little bit of God's word. With that, I'm gonna meditate on God's word. Interesting how easy it is to meditate on the scripture if you already have it in your heart. So Joshua was told that this book of the law should not depart from his mouth, but he should meditate on it day and night so that he would be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then he would make his way prosperous, then he would find success. We all want prosperity and success, and I just wonder if there might be a nugget of truth for us that maybe that's found actually in just ruminating on God's word, and so hiding it in your heart. What might it look like to create a rule of life where you're discussing God's word? Maybe getting into a life group 
and it's a big step for some people because some people, that's, there's a little social anxiety there. Totally get it. But what might it look like for you to say, you know what, no, I'm going to try something different. Coming out of the new year, I'm going to get into a life group where we're going to discuss God's word, and you're going to hear other opinions, other applications, other takes on a text, and then maybe even studying God's word, saying, you know what, yeah, I'm going to drill down into the Bible. I want to learn a little bit more about the context. I want to learn what that word says, and, and I, want to, I want to learn what it means not to each individual person. It doesn't mean nine different things. It means one different thing. And so what would it look like for me to study so I know what it means? And then we can talk about how it applies to all of us. A rule of life as it might relate to wisdom in God's word. With that in mind, also experiencing now uh, a continual growth in wisdom as it relates to God, what might it look like to, to develop a prayer life? And to say, you know, that's one of the things I want to work on. I want to, I want to work on my prayer life. And it might mean learning how to open to God and sit in silence, which can be terrifying, by the way, to just open to the Lord and, and, and then go quiet. Just kind of listen. To, uh, to take a, a scripture and, and as you're reading it, to just kind of pray through it. To, to have the courage to pray Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And you just kind of open to the Lord and you go, bring it. What's not like you? I want to walk in light. And to, to just see what might it look like to create a rule of life where prayer becomes part of your normal routine. Not only that, though, if wisdom is not simply knowledge of God but knowledge of his creation, what might it look like to be curious intellectually, to read on the side to grow in knowledge of some subject in God's creation. Uh, to maybe enjoy God's creation by experiencing beauty and just sitting in the awe of it. Um, to uh, find something that you're interested in and to explore and to seek to understand and to wrap your mind around it. And in some ways to, to acquire knowledge so that you can thank God for how incredible this is. Some of you might like to travel. What might it look like to stand before something awesome for me, if I stand before a Caravaggio painting, I am in the presence of God. I am so grateful for a gifted individual, and I am just transported into those moments. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's nature that you need to get out above tree line, God help you, and just go camp somewhere and sleep on a rock or whatever, but, but to explore God's creation as a form of worship of God. It's a, it's a trellis in your life that says, look, every six months, I gotta get out of town. Every six months, but not to go entertain myself and not to escape. No, I, I need to get out of town. I need to go meet with God. I need to go experience him in whatever way you choose. Also, it says Jesus continued to grow in stature. Let's talk about that a little bit. What might it look like? to grow physically and emotionally. Let's talk about physically for a moment. I'm not trying to fat shame anyone. I would be top on that list. It is the new year. Eggnog is a thing, and it is not very good for your fitness. All right, but that being said, what might it look like to really think through how we eat, how we move, how we sleep, and to just get real basic with that? Uh, some folks, by the way, we live on the medications. We may not acknowledge it as such, but we wake up, we have to have a coffee, and then mid-morning we have to have a coffee, and then mid-afternoon we have to have a coffee. Then we wonder why we can't sleep because we've had enough caffeine to kill a mule. And so maybe one of the things we might say is, okay, well, maybe instead of the caffeine, maybe I'll try a glass of water on a walk and see how that works, how we eat, how we move. 
God made your body to move. No, you don't have to be a CrossFit athlete. But God made your body to move, and the more you move your body, the better we feel. Increases serotonin, blood starts pumping, lowers your blood pressure, lowers anxiety, lowers depression. Wonderful thing to just move. One of the things I started doing some years ago is I call them old man walks, where I just go for a walk. It sounds kind of corny, but I just walk. Sometimes I take the dog. Sometimes I just go pray. But I've just noticed the breeze on my face, the vitamin D from the sun. Even in the summer, you're sweating a little bit, but that's fine. You live in Fresno. Of course, you're going to sweat a little bit. Just to add a little movement into your rule of life. What might that look like? Especially, by the way, if you live or work rather in an office job or you're at a desk or a cube all day. Boy, one of the greatest gifts you might do on your lunch hour is just eat that lunch a little quicker than normal and just go for a walk and just enjoy God's creation. Uh, sleep is one, by the way, eat, moving, and sleeping. Sleeping is one that we don't pay attention much to, uh, and yet God created your body to work and to rest, and so you need to rest. And one of the things you might think about is your sleep environment. I know this seems a little weird from a biblical message, but I think if we're creating a rule of life, sleep is critical. God created your body to power down. Uh, it used to be, by the way, that when the sun went down, you powered down, and you might have an oil lamp, but beyond that, once dinner was made and enjoy it as a family, you'd blow the candles or the uh, oil lamps out and you'd go to bed. Nobody's looking at a device. Nobody has a glowing face. Nobody's watching, you know, TV shows at night. You would tell stories with grandma and grandpa and then you'd go to bed. Nobody even knew what time it was. It was just time to go to bed. And yet in our culture, lots of glowing faces, lots of TVs on at night. I go to sleep with the TV on. Terrible for your sleep, by the way. Um, to find a dark environment, to shut everything down, to power down your devices, put them in the other room if you need to. I finally got an alarm that was on the other side of the room, so I can't even reach my phone. It's been one of the best things I've done for my sleep because you wake up, you pull your phone up to see what time it is, and next thing you know, you're scrolling Instagram for an hour. No. In, in honesty, sleep, one of the most underestimated parts of a rule of life that we can consider. The other, though, is not just eat, move, and sleep. What about rest? like six days of creation and then God rested. What might it look like for you to rest and have a Sabbath? Sabbath can be a legalistic thing, totally acknowledged. Jesus was pushing on that quite a bit in your New Testament, but Sabbath is a gift. It's the gift of rest, where one 24-hour period a week shut down. Doesn't matter which day, by the way. We're not fighting over the day. Our family, Friday night at about six, we power down. If you need to get a hold of me, I am unavailable until Saturday night at 6, by and large. And I try to just put my phone away, shut it all off. And you know what? It's a very freeing thing to actually go for a walk without a phone. Go run errands without a phone. And just be unplugged. And in fact, we try even not to do that. We try not to leave the house. So I'm bedhead and sweatpants all 24 hours. I have the best bedhead on the planet, by the way. It is legit. And I just enjoy a, a time off. And we make good meals together, and we laugh together, and we tell stories together, and we just restore our souls. What, what does rest look like for you? And then how about restoration? What's vacation look like? Some of you might be wired like me where your vacations are exhausting so that after your vacation you need another vacation. Uh, but there's something to be said about having no plans, no agenda, and just restoring your soul. As we talk about what it means to grow in stature, both physically and emotionally, I think there's a couple of keys for us that just might be worth saying, what, what might I need to think about? It might be all of them. It might be none of them. It's your rule of life. 
It's your trellis. And if you sense in your heart, ah, yes, then try something. And we'll get into that here in a moment. How about uh, not just growing physically, but growing emotionally? How about deepening in emotion or growing in emotional intelligence? Um, learning how to interact socially with people. Unpacking things that might be from your past that hinder you. Uh, going to counseling. Finding a good therapist. Find somebody who can help you understand why you are the way you are. Uh, at one point years ago, I told a, a therapist guy, I said, yeah, I'm kind of an intense guy. That's just who I am. He goes, no, that's who you became. Let's talk about why you needed the intensity. That was a fascinating tear-filled conversation. But it's increasing my emotional intelligence to know not only who I am, but why I am who I am. Regeneration here at the well is a wonderful next step for those of you who might have the courage to do that. So to continually grow uh, in favor. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, where am I at here? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about what it means to grow now in favor with God as we delight in him. So one of the things I want to just make note of as it relates to a rule of life, we do not build a rule of life to earn God's favor. We build a rule of life because we already have the favor of God. So said another way, we, we don't build a rule of life so that God will love us. We build a rule of life because God already does. So this isn't an earning thing. This is an in response to God thing, already fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully known, and fully loved. And so with that, uh, what might my church participation look like as a response to the favor of God? If Jesus was in the synagogue, as was his custom, what might church participation look like? Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but there's a lot of folks who say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. I said, well, then you're missing one of the most beautiful gifts of grace that God could provide, which is the communion of saints. What would uh, spiritual forming relationships look like in response to God's favor? What would um, giving look like in response to God's favor? What would serving look like in response to God's favor because of what he's already done for us, entering in in response to that? And then to continually grow in favor with others. Um, what might it look like to be intentional with your family? Some of you are married. Well, it might be really good uh, to invest in that relationship. As those of you know who've been married for any number of years, it's not always easy. And in fact, oftentimes difficult. So what would it look like to invest in that relationship? If you have kids, um, I'm sending my oldest back to college on Sunday. And so we're, we're realizing we're waving goodbye to our kids. Some of you have already done that. But what would it look like to invest in your kids, to invest in your grandkids, to be parents that recapture the dinner table? What happened to the dinner table, by the way? Uh, generation before Every night at said time, dinner was made. Now, we can argue about whether he cooked it or she cooked it and whether that was right or wrong. Different story for a different day. Here's what I do know. Uh, the conversations around the dinner table are, not near, or excuse me, are much more productive than the conversations in the drive-thru. And so what might it look like for us to recapture the dinner table? Now, to create a rule of life, to intentionally pursue wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men, let me close with a couple of coaching points for you. Some of you are like, I'm going to try this. Okay, but let's, uh, let's be mindful of a couple things. One, build this out based on your personality. Okay, so for some, it needs to be simple and basic. Here's the one thing I want to focus on in 2023, with God. Beautiful. For some of you, you've already got a document in your head you've created 
and in your mind you're already editing it. Great, make it as simple or as robust as your personality can handle. Second, uh, the scope and scale of your rule of life is irrelevant. More is not necessarily better. So you're like, well, mine's 15 pages. How many is yours? That, that's not the point, okay? The point is uh, create whatever is right for you. Uh, third, I would say this, live in grace as it relates to a rule of life because a rule of life can become legalistic very quickly. And if it's becoming something that you feel like if I don't do it, God doesn't love me, you've, you've missed the point of a rule of life. He, he already loves you, whether you have a rule of life or not, right? But as we respond to God in a rule of life, we're doing so based on our position of being loved by him already. And so live in grace. Uh, it's not meant to produce guilt. It's not meant to encourage shame. Uh, treat all setbacks as temporary. That's another Jim Sweeneyism, Because you will falter. And so if you're like, I will read my Bible every day, that's fine until you don't. And then you're like, I am a loser. I, you know, what's wrong with me? It's like, no, you just missed the day. Relax. Get back on the you know, wagon the next day. It's not a big deal. You missed the day. So treat setbacks as temporary. And then be reminded, this is a living document, which means it's going to change. It's going to ebb and flow. You're going to add things. You're going to drop things. You might already be thinking, yeah, but there's nothing about my workplace. So add a vocational category there and build that out. Who do you want to be in the workplace? You say, yeah, but I'm a student. Great. Add an educational category. What do you want to be in the classroom? One of the most God-honoring things you could do is pay attention in class and go to class, right? So you might want to add those things. Adjust it, change it, tweak it. It is a living document. And then I would say this, be patient, play the long game. Um, one, uh, one author, Eugene Peterson, talks about long obedience in the same direction. Uh, change is incremental and uh, oftentimes slow and incremental. So just keep playing the long game. Just keep putting days together where you live out your rule of life. And then I would say this, uh, as we talked about the presentation of our will, uh, we're, just, we're inviting you to be willing as you lay out a rule of life. Not willful, where you're driving the process, and not will-less, where you quit. But just willing to even do one thing. Just one thing this year that with God you sense him leading you into. Uh, one maybe pro tip I will give you is this. There's an interesting book called Atomic Habits. And uh, it's a productivity book, so if you're into it, you might like it. But one of the things he talks about is uh, habit triggers, that a time or a location oftentimes are triggers. So like, for example, uh, when I first wake up, that's a beautiful trigger. Uh, when I get to class, that's a trigger. When I get back to my apartment is a trigger. When I, when I get into my car, these, these are all triggers that you can use for, as a rule of life. And then they talk about what they call habit stacking, which is then when I do X and I'm done with X, then I do Y. And so what will allow you to do is build out routines. So for example, um, I have a morning routine that is chock full of things that accomplishes multiple things in my rule of life right when I get up. So my feet hit the floor, I do a prayer of intention, Go turn on the coffee machine because that's important. Drink some water, take some vitamins, go stretch, go have my coffee. I go sit with my Bible. I read it and meditate on it almost every morning. I love that. It gives me life. And at that point, I've taken care of my body, taken care of my mind, taken care of my spiritual life. I'm investing in my time with God and in the scriptures and in prayer. And you might play with that a little bit and say, okay, at 9 o'clock every night, an alarm's going to go off. And when the alarm goes off, I shut off my phone, 
I shut off the TV, I light a candle, I make some sleepy tea, I go into my bedroom, and I read for five minutes before I go to bed. Whatever, play with it, have fun. But it's one of the things that you can do to sort of stack multiple of these rule of life things together. To the students, how about when you get to class, you unpack your backpack, you greet a couple of people, and you just take a moment and say, God, I'm here for a reason. So God, could I be engaged in what's taught? Would you open my mind to understand it, that I could honor you in how I absorb the information, whether I like it or not? That might be one of the most God-honoring things a student could do. And then finally, I'll say this. Um, What does a rule of life help you accomplish? Well, candidly, it helps you live on purpose. Uh, It helps you align your day and your day-to-day life to your values. Uh, It helps you be intentional to pursue that which matters most to you. Which for a believer, it means, I want to honor God with my life. Then great, how about honor him with your Monday morning at 8.30 a.m.? And what would that look like? How about honor him one client at a time? How about honor him uh, when you're getting gas and when you drove by a neighbor that was outside? Like one of my, it's, it's a silly little trigger, but every time I see a neighbor, I wave as if I'm the mayor. They don't know me. I don't know them. They live down the street, but I just, hey, you know, I just want them to know that guy's friendly because if life ever happens, they'll come to the friendly guy's house. A couple of, well, it's about a year ago now. One of my neighbors, I've never met the guy before, walks over. He's like, knock on the door. He goes, hey, do you have any money? I need some money. Never happened to me before. I'm like, well, here we go. So we had an interaction. It's fantastic. Do what, those are the kind of little triggers that you can have to keep your life living with Christ as the center. Now, look, it may seem daunting, but every journey Every journey begins with the first step. And I'll close with Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. One of the things I'd love to process, and it's something that you're gonna have to process with you and maybe your community, is what would a rule of life look like for you? And so play with this. As robust or as simple as you want, but maybe, just maybe together, we could align ourselves and our hearts to Christ here in this new year. Sound good? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to... um, to hear of maybe what Jesus might have experienced in his life and the example that it might give us. So help us to live out this life that you have given us in a way that keeps Christ first. That whenever we do, in word or deed, we do it all for the glory of the Lord. And so, Lord, thank you that you meet us in our rules of life. May they be gifts and never burdens as we seek to honor you. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.